encouragement for women of all ages. We're in the midst of our Navigating Modern Christianity series, and in this episode, I want to specifically talk about handling weakness that we see in others, whether that's personal weakness or weakness that we see in the church. How do we really handle that in a godly way? And so the name of this message is Becoming a Blanket Carrier, Choosing a Christ-like Response Toward Weakness in Others. And I'll explain what I mean by that as we go through this message. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that right now for a limited time, we have our Ellerslie online program available. So if you can't make it out to Colorado for one of our week-long or five-week discipleship training programs, Ellerslie online is a great way to take this really powerful material and bring it into your daily life. So it's a five-week program, but if you join, you'll have access to the sessions through the rest of the summer through August, so you can go at your own pace. It's an amazing tool for family discipleship, for couples discipleship, just for individual growth in your walk with Christ. There are daily videos that are about 15 to 30 minutes long, so they're designed to fit into your normal everyday life. It's a really powerful program, and again, it's only available for a limited time, and it's available for a donation of any amount because we don't want money to stand in the way of your participation if you're really hungry to be a part of that. So just click the link in this podcast description, or you can go to ellerslie.com and click on the Ellerslie on online program for more about that. So let's talk about what it means to become a blanket carrier to choose a Christ-like response toward weakness in others. I want to start with Proverbs 19.11, a person's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Now, overlooking an offense is not something that comes naturally to us. I want to unpack that scripture a little bit today. I remember a very exhausting season in my life when Eric and I had just had our fourth child. We were trying to maintain our sanity with four children under the age of five. Two of them were still in diapers. We had two that were very close together, seven months apart, one adopted and one by birth. So it was just a crazy season when those two came along. We already had a toddler and a preschool. So it was just, it was crazy. We were in the middle at this time of acquiring a campus and launching Ellerslie, which is our discipleship training program. We were facing some pretty big financial tests of faith. We were traveling a lot of weekends because we had speaking commitments that we were trying to fulfill. We were dealing with sickness, lots of other things, just a lot of attack against us. And God was giving His supernatural grace, and He had been very faithful through all of this I definitely saw in that time that his strength was being made perfect in my weakness. But at the same time, just the intense demands of daily life left both Eric and I feeling really spent and really battle-weary. It was right around that time that someone who was close in our life, who really should have offered strength and support to us, gave us the opposite. Instead of giving us encouragement, this person began to criticize and nitpick us. Instead of offering grace and understanding, this person became a fault finder, an accuser, a slanderer. And in a small way, it reminded me of Job's friends who came to, quote, comfort him when he had been ruthlessly attacked by Satan. Even though they feigned sympathy and concern, instead of supporting him in his weakest hour, they accused and they discouraged him. Instead of strengthening him, they only added to his distress. And this wasn't the first time that Eric and I had experienced the insensitivity and ignorant words of other Christians. It definitely wouldn't be the last because we've gone through things like this before. One thing I've noticed throughout my Christian walk is that it's often when we're at our weakness that the enemy will work through the immaturity or the vulnerabilities of others to try to weaken us even further, battling us towards anger or outrage or discouragement. And I've struggled with this a lot. When someone hits you with something unexpected, they're rude, they're insensitive, they're giving you the opposite of what you need, 
what is your first instinct? For me, usually my first instinct when someone has been rude or hurtful, especially another Christian, is to share the offense with others. There's some sort of human comfort that we get from exposing someone's weakness, from showcasing their immaturity and getting other people to feel the same disgust toward their behavior as we feel. But I have learned from personal experience that Satan actually gets double mileage out of his attacks when we respond to offenses in an unhealthy way. When we broadcast a person's weakness, it's a surefire way to cause second-party offenses, to splinter relationships, to sponsor mistrust, and to foster bitterness in our own soul. In that situation that I was describing, In my flesh, I wanted other people to recognize how wrong that person's behavior was. And I wanted the satisfaction of seeing my friends become frustrated on our behalf, like take up the cause. You shouldn't have been treated that way. And that was what I wanted in my flesh. But in my spirit, I began to clearly feel like God was prompting me to keep the offense to myself, to choose to forgive, and to do what Amy Carmichael said, to go on in peace and in silence. He was asking me to cover the offense instead of exposing it. And that brings us back to that verse in Proverbs 19:11, a person's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Now again, overlooking an offense is the opposite of what our culture and the enemy and our own fleshly tendencies want us to do. I was on a trip recently and took an Uber ride, and the driver was playing a popular radio talk show, and it invited listeners to call in and share their gripes against people in their lives, might have been like an ex-spouse or an ex-friend or a coworker who had done wrong to them. And the hosts of the show were like exuberantly praising every caller that called in because the caller was publicly bashing these people and airing their grievances on the radio, and it was like a good thing. And that's what's normal in our culture. So social media is another place where you'll see lots of rants and complaints against people who have offended other people. And even as we've talked about before in Christian gatherings, those can become a breeding ground for airing our personal hurts and offenses under the banner of authentic sharing or asking for prayer. So overlooking an offense is so abnormal in our modern world, and it's even abnormal in our Christian world. Because when we've been hurt or offended by someone, it can feel wrong or even unhealthy to just look the other way and move on. We often think that if we choose to overlook an offense, we are indirectly making the statement that what that person did or said was okay, that they shouldn't be held accountable for their behavior. But overlooking an offense is far more than just ignoring someone's weakness or letting them off the hook for what they've done. It means purposely choosing honor over dishonor and love over retaliation. It means valuing another person's soul more than our own sense of personal justice. It means considering how we ourselves want to be treated in our own weaknesses and the mistakes that we make. Do we want them exposed or do we want them covered? It means remembering the lavish forgiveness that Christ offered to us even when we didn't deserve it. Now, as I've talked about in other episodes, in a case of personal abuse or harm to yourself or others, if that's going on, it's not something you overlook or stay silent about. You need to go to the right people in authority who can help in that situation. That's not the time to remain silent. But for most other offenses, to consider, does God want me to cover this rather than expose it? When we encounter human weakness, there are two ways we can respond. There's the human way and there's God's way. The human way is to expose and broadcast weakness in others 
God's way often is to cover weakness in others, and it's very counterintuitive. Genesis 9 records this poignant incident between Noah and his three sons after the flood. It's kind of a weird and awkward story, but it's really actually quite profound. It says, Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers... But Shem and Japheth took a garment, probably a blanket, and laid it on their shoulders and walked backward into the tent and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see his nakedness. Now, that's so interesting to me. His youngest son saw his father's weakness, his mistake, whatever had happened there, and he immediately went out and broadcast it to other people. And you can almost imagine him finding glee or delight in spreading a piece of juicy gossip about his father's disgrace. Noah was probably, you know, highly respected and it's like, oh, look, he's human. But the older two sons, instead of taking delight in their father's weakness, they chose honor instead. They carried a blanket or a garment of some kind. They walked backward into the tent and they respectfully covered him. One son showed dishonor by exposing his father's mistake and the other sons showed love and discretion by covering that mistake. Because of the dishonorable way that the younger son responded to that whole situation, he and his descendants were cursed. And because of the grace-filled way that the older son responded, he and his descendants were blessed. So our goal is to become blanket carriers like Noah's older sons. And it means responding to the weakness that we see in others with honor, with love, and with discretion. It's actually one of the most notable ways that we can showcase Christ's amazing selfless love. And it's one of the hardest things to do. In fact, it's actually totally impossible outside of the enabling grace of God. In the book, If by Amy Carmichael, she wrote this, if I can easily discuss the shortcomings and the sins of any, if I can speak in even a casual way of a child's misdoing, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Calvary is the clearest and most powerful example in history of covering human weakness with heavenly love. Human weakness was the reason that Christ died on that cross, the reason he suffered for our sin. He took the punishment that was rightfully ours. Instead of exposing and broadcasting our weakness, Jesus chose to cover our sin with his blood, to cast our sin as far away from us as the east is from the west, and even to make us part of his royal family. He freely gave what we did not deserve, and he asked us to do the same for others. So when we remember what he has done for us, it should completely change the way we respond to weakness in others. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. That means freely give grace when it's undeserved. Freely give love when our flesh wants to retaliate. Freely give honor in the face of dishonor. That's what his love did for us, and that's what his love can do through us if we are willing. If you're finding it difficult to let God love through you like that, I encourage you to consider these amazing truth-filled words from Amy Carmichael and begin to put them into practice by God's grace. She said, there is no need to plead that the love of God shall fill our hearts as though he were unwilling to fill us. He is as willing as light is to flood a room that is open to its brightness. Willing as water is willing to flow into an empty channel. Love is pressing round us on all sides like air. Cease to resist and instantly love takes possession. 
So I encourage you to ponder that and ask God to love through you, even when it feels impossible in your own strength, especially when it comes to the willingness to cover weakness in others. Now I want to take a minute and talk about what it means to become a blanket carrier when it comes to weakness in the church. It says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And when you look at the modern church, often it's easy to see a multitude of sins. Eric and I spent the first 10 years of our marriage speaking in churches and Christian gatherings all around the country and overseas. And as a young Christian stepping into the excitement of full-time ministry, I really had romanticized ideas about what traveling from church to church was going to be like. It did not take long for me to realize that those ideals were very far from reality. We really did encounter a lot of truly committed and victorious Christians, but we also encountered an uncomfortable amount of counterfeit leaders and hypocritical believers. I was very rattled by the weakness that I continually saw in modern Christians. And for years, I grappled with how I should respond to that. Should I publicize the hypocrisy and the compromise that I had seen in the lives of so many Christians? Should I even bother praying that God would awaken the church when it seems so apathetic? Should Eric and I even attend a regular church because it seemed like every church we visited was spiritually off track? After many years of praying that God would show us how to respond to the weakness that we saw in the modern church, the answer came one day in the form of a scripture that we felt like he gave us from the book of Revelation, from Revelation 3.2, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. In that moment, Eric and I sensed that God was calling us to strengthen modern believers and to become sort of like a spiritual defibrillator. I don't really ever know how to say that word, but you know, the the device that is used when someone is about to die to charge, to charge them and bring life back into their body. It's it's what God was calling us to do to a weak and dying church. And that is when our vision for Ellerslie, our discipleship training center program, began to really take shape. He gave us a clear and practical response to the weakness that we had seen in Christianity, not to just complain about the problems that we saw, but to get in step with his heart and his purpose for the modern church. So becoming a blanket carrier is a principle that does apply to more than just personal grievances. It also applies to the weakness that we see in Christianity as a whole. So I want to walk through uh, just a couple of common scenarios in modern Christianity, because chances are you'll relate to one of these, and maybe you've wondered how to respond to them. Again, it's so critical that we gain God's heart for these areas of weakness within the church so that we don't respond in a fleshly way like Noah's son did and become part of the problem rather than part of God's solution. So the first scenario is that maybe you're frustrated by compromise in fellow believers' lives. And we've touched on this in other episodes. I'm just going to highlight it in the context of being a blanket carrier and covering over weakness. Through my years in ministry, I have been tempted so many times to become annoyed and cynical toward Christians who live in hypocrisy, Christians who speak one thing with their mouths and live another way with their lives. There have even been moments when I've wanted to just publicly bash people in Christianity who seem to be giving Christianity a bad name, or maybe go up to someone and angrily confront them when I see just such a spiritual sloppiness and sin being allowed in, especially when they're influencing others to veer away from Christ. It it really bothers me, and I never quite fully know how to respond. But I have learned that while having a passion to see purity and righteousness return to the church is a godly quality, 
it's only half of the picture. Our passion for righteousness has to be balanced with love and grace and patience and gentleness. So as we are laboring to see the glory of God return to Christianity again, we cannot forget that truth always has to be delivered in a way that reflects God's nature. It doesn't mean that we just ignore compromise that we see in the church. It is a great opportunity to wrestle in prayer, that God would awaken the church and bring revival. And there may be specific moments when we are called to say something, to stand up and say, let's rise up to a higher standard. But our quest for seeing purity return to the church can really quickly turn into a demeaning attitude toward other believers where we're just focused on their weakness. We're not focused on the power of God and what He wants to do in the church. And we need to be guarded against human anger and pride no matter how right our perspective may be, if we adopt an attitude of fleshly anger and spiritual pride and wanting to expose weakness in the church, we can't really reflect the nature or the heart of God. Again, as we've said before, scripture reminds us that the wrath of man does not reflect the righteousness of God. So it's not merely standing for the truth that matters, but standing for the truth in God's way. Again, beware of having that zeal for God, but not of knowledge, as it talks about in Romans 10 too. Like all those well-meaning Christians who, in their passion to fight for God's glory, look down on those they disagree with, expose their weakness, focus on their weakness, and treat them with contempt. One of the best things that we can do with our frustration toward other believers is to take it to God in importunate wrestling prayer. Now, that may not feel as satisfying as like bold, powerful confrontation, but it is actually more powerful and more effective than human words. There's that beautiful promise in 1 John 5.16 that says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin. That is such an amazing truth to stand on. So let's never forget that no matter how brilliant our arguments may be or how passionate our convictions may be, we can never change anyone. Only God can. Prayer is a powerful weapon against compromise, and it reminds us that we're not fighting these battles on our own. We are fighting alongside the God of the universe, the God for whom nothing is impossible. Again, it's very possible to stand firm in your convictions and challenge other believers to a higher standard while still exuding that love and that humility of Christ. But it doesn't happen by accident. So take some time to go to the Word of God and study the example of Christ. Study the example of Moses and David and Paul, these godly men who were strong leaders but actually really marked by humility and love and ask God to infuse you not only with his spiritual passion and his hunger for righteousness, but also with his love and with his gentleness, his burden for believers who are trapped in that cycle of compromise. Unless we operate in a spirit of love and grace toward the modern church, our zeal and passion for truth is going to be ineffective and useless. So another scenario maybe is that you become disillusioned by your Christian heroes. We hit on this in another episode called Weakness in Our Spiritual Heroes, but I want to hit on it again in the area of covering others' weakness. There's a fairly new trend in Christianity that has been a bit disturbing to watch over the past five or 10 years. Oftentimes when an influential Christian passes away, Sometimes this new information emerges that calls the person's life and ministry into question. So whether that's through the words of friends and family who maybe knew them or the discovery of private journals and letters that 
suddenly surface, unknown dirt oftentimes will be discovered. Whether it accurately portrays the full story or not, it can really cast a shadow on someone who's no longer alive to defend themselves or offer any perspective on the situation. And this really often causes confusion and disillusionment for anyone who may have been spiritually impacted by that person's life and their example. Because after all, if our Christian heroes can't really live in victory, then who can? I believe that while we shouldn't put Christian heroes on a pedestal or allow their example or their teaching to become a replacement for the Word of God or be our primary guide in our Christian walk, it's also really unhealthy to overfixate on human weakness in other Christians' lives. So when we study the lives of Christians that have gone before us, our focus should primarily be on not on the person himself or herself but on the work of God in that person's life, how God worked in and through that person's circumstances and experiences to get glory for himself. Any Christian testimony or story is ultimately all about God and what he can do through a life. I don't believe that Christians in the past should be highlighted simply to emphasize and underscore their human weakness. That's something that's really focused on and celebrated today, but that doesn't actually help us focus on God's power and faithfulness. Let's start focusing on their godly decisions, their passion for Christ, their spiritual strengths, not in a way that glosses over their human weakness, but in a way that can inspire and strengthen us in our Christian walk. As I said in our previous episode on this, the Apostle Paul was a great example of this principle. He told the early church, follow me as I follow Christ, but he also said he was not perfect and he had not already attained God's highest, as it says in Philippians 3.12. So clearly there was this blend of human weakness along with Christian heroism in the life of Paul. And even though in scripture there is a clear acknowledgement of the fact that he was not perfect and that he had not arrived, there's a lot more emphasis on what God did in and through him to build up the early church in the example that he set for us as believers. Romans 14, 19 tells us that we are to focus on the things that make for peace and edify one another. And I love that. Such a great reminder of what we should focus on when we're looking at the lives of others that have gone before us. I recently read a book that chronicled the last few years of Corey Ten Boom's life. It was written by the woman who was her personal assistant and her caretaker during that time. And even though those years were among the most difficult of Corey's life, and there were many struggles that she faced due to extreme physical weakness, the book was so beautifully expressed, and it was very edifying to my soul to read it. The author could have easily focused on the difficulties, the exhaustion, and the discouragement of her assignment, and even the moments of human weakness that I'm sure she saw in Corey's life during that time, but instead she focused on the amazing, enabling grace of God that she experienced as Corey's caretaker and the many moments moments when she saw Jesus shining through Corey's life, even when things were extremely hard. So don't allow the enemy to rob from the testimony of God's work of grace in other Christians' lives. Choose to not focus and emphasize human weakness, but on God's mighty power. Our heroes will never be perfect, but they do showcase aspects of who God is, and that can really strengthen and bless us when we don't overemphasize human weakness. So going back to that scripture in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Our human tendency is to want to expose weakness in others and weakness in the church as a whole. But when we allow God to overwhelm us with his supernatural victorious love toward the body of Christ, 
our entire perspective changes. That's when we become his blanket carriers, letting love cover a multitude of sins. So let's ask him to flood us with fervent love for those in our lives and give us eyes not to see their weakness, but to see his strength, his hope, and his redemption. I just want to close with these really powerful words from a poem that Amy Carmichael wrote. And this is what I believe our prayer should be if we desire to be God's blanket carriers in this generation. Love through me, love of God, there is no love in me. O fire of love, light thou the love that burns perpetually. Flow through me, peace of God, calm river, flow and tell. No wind can blow, no current stir, a ripple of self-will. Shine through me, joy of God, make me thy clear air that thou dost pour thy colors through as though it were not there. O blessed love of God, that all may taste and see how good thou art. Once more I pray, love through me, even me. And I love that. Let that be the prayer of our heart this week, whether we're dealing with weakness in our personal relationships or weakness in the church as a whole. Let's get that vision of becoming God's blanket carriers. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life, I invite you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. And I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week. Thank you.